Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Andrew Millen, and you're listening to the Celtic Soul Podcast, and you're all very welcome to episode number 52 Today on the show, I'll be joined by Paul McGuade to talk about all things Celtic, and he's going to let us into his Celtic soul. Paul is the editor of Retro Celtic Fanzine, The Shamrock, and he has written three books on Celtic, and at the moment, he's spending a lot of time researching and writing his fourth book, a biography of Johnny Doyle. He's also a founding member of the Celtic Graves Association and the man behind the Walking Walford Tour. So plenty to chat about the Paul and a man who does so much for Celtic fandom. This episode of the podcast has been sponsored by Dublin-based Salic Supporters Club, Nave Park. Thanks very much to Mark, Kieran, and all the crew for the continued support of the podcast and for supporting the fans in for over 20 years. And to the individual members of the club who also subscribe to the mag. So listen, boys and girls, thank you very, very much. If your business or Salic Supporters Club like what we're doing with the podcast and you'd like to sponsor an episode, it doesn't cost too much, so don't be afraid to contact us at info at and as always, you can contact us through the website or on social media. We're on most of the platforms, except the ones for the young ones, the Snapchat and the TikTok. If you're a listener or reader or both, you can support our independent Celtic media platform by visiting CelticFansion.com, where you can become a member, subscribe, buy or donate for the price of a point. Membership starts at $7.99. Subscriptions to the fanzine start at $5.99. Visit our online shop. You can buy the latest fanzine from $2.50 and merchandise from a fiver. You can also donate to help us fund the platform, which includes this free podcast you're listening to. Your support will help us to continue to produce quality fan independent journalism, fanzines, podcasts, video content and fan events. Please keep all the comments coming in and suggestions for guests. As always, we reach out to everybody suggested and we'll try and get them in for a chat and let us dig into the Celtic Soul. Here's a few comments we received since the last episode. 
That's a man and a half for Danda, accompanied by the Celtic Soul podcast with Dr. Joe and a chat with David Potter, who's written 30 books on Celtic. Music by Deck McLaughlin thrown in. And that comes from Chris and Derry. Thank you, Chris, for the comments. Superb listen again, Millish, helping me through the overtime on a Sunday. Mark McCabe, a dub stranded in Glasgow. Come on, Mark. Another interview which as ever hits the impressive Celtic soul high standards. Loved hearing about former boys such as Tom McAdam, Pat on Bobby Evans, Charlie Tully, the overseas players that play for Celtic and David Potter's take on Lenny, Dr. Joe, Tommy Doc and Shuggy. Keep up the good work, Andrew. And like I'm saying, Tony Ratton in Sunderland. Would listen to David Potter talk all day about Celtic. A wonderful walking encyclopedia on our great club for all fans. Kieran Kenny in Dublin. Cheers, Kieran, for that comment. Just a quick message to say I started listening to your podcast over the past few days and it is excellent. I think it is sometimes easy to take for granted the level of talent, skill and commitment we have in our support. But your show and the guests you have on make it appreciated again. It brings back a bit of pride which is a godsend in the current climate. Fills you with confidence for the future. Still working my way through all the shows but well done again on putting it all together. And that comes in from Ross. Not sure where Ross is based but thanks very much Ross and nice tart at Woods. Tuesday night, rugby park, empty stands, where we once bounced around to the sound of Just Can't Get Enough, where Scott Brown won the league, and who could forget when Shunsuke Nakamura scored a trademark free kick there in the last minute to crown Celtic champions. We've had plenty of talent pass through the parkhead gates since then. But have we really had an entertainer of his quality? What a playoff. Scott Barron returned to the plastic pitch against Kilmarnock and he did show his leadership qualities, opening the scoring in a 4-0 win. Eddie back on the score sheet, two goals, nice one. And Ayeti, remember him? Welcome back. But I believe it's been short-lived. You've been cited for diving and you're out for two games. Not sure how true that is, but just one of the boys is saying it here in the studio. Now Ayeti... If you are sighted for diving, please tell Barkas how to do it because I haven't seen him diving yet all season and I'm probably being a bit harsh on the Greek international but really, you need to step up a little there, Barkas. Anyway, John Joe Kenny started off his solid career with a win after he joined on transfer deadline day while Olivia Insham headed for Marseille and his new manager, Andre Villas-Boas resigned because the board went over his head and he didn't want the want-away Celtic player. Celtic fan Boyle67 on Twitter summed it up. Olivia Insham wants to go to Marseille. The fans were setting fire to the training ground yesterday and that's still a more attractive prospect than staying at Celtic. Fair play to Villas Boas, a man of principle. Walked away without wanting any money. Football before finance. There's too much influence from the suits in the dressing room at most clubs. Some of them never kick the ball in their life, but their wall beaters are interference. Leave football to the footballers and the football coaches. Tuesday's performance was positive. The players looked up for it. Neil Lennon rang in the changes after the embarrassing performance against St Mirren. The positive result and performance had an effect on social media and in the WhatsApp groups. And the effect was silence, with a lot less clattering of keyboards and smartphones. The performance in Kilmarnock has maybe acted as a stay of execution for Lenny, who by the way sounded very confident in his press conference on the eve of the game when asked about his position. How he has survived to stay in the job 
up after January results is incredible. But while he has the backing of the board, we must support him and the team for each 90 minutes. For Celtic Football Club is bigger than any one man. And we, the fans, are the heartbeat of Celtic. We are Celtic. Paul McQuaid is the editor of the Shamrock fanzine and the man behind the Shamrock website. He's also the man behind the Warford walking tours and is a founding member of the Celtic Graves Association. He has written three books on Celtic, said Lizzie to Philip, how Celtic gay crashed the coronation. This is how it feels to be Celtic, an account of the invincible season. He's wrote a quote book on Celtic, which came out just before Christmas, and he is currently writing a biography of Johnny Doyle. Well, Paul, you've been busy. You're very welcome to the Celtic Soul podcast. We had a positive result on Tuesday night after the very, very disappointing performance against St Mirren at the weekend, which once again saw the Celtic fans take to social media to call for Neil Lennon to be sacked or for him to resign. But he remains defiant, and in recent press conferences, he says he's going nowhere. To have that much confidence, it would suggest he's the backing of Dermot Desmond and the Celtic board. Yeah, interesting times, Andrew. <laughs> no getting away from it. Um, things are just happening so quickly at Celtic the past few months. It's been almost impossible to keep up. Um, but at least we had the comfort of a decent performance last night, um, which is good to see. Um, Scott Brown back, back to his irrepressible self as well. Um, and at least makes up a little bit for the disappointment of that St Mirren game. It'll be very interesting to see what happens between now and the end of the season. Uh, I would be amazed if they would stick with Neil Lennon as long as the end of the season. Uh, but as you said, you know, they, it would appear that people's uh, tempers are getting increasingly out of control with it all, you know. So interesting times all round. Um, I think, you know, such is a disappointment um, of what's happened this season. It's going to take us a while to go over it. Um, but already, you could see again last night, especially the performance of some of our more recent signs I think we've got some stuff to look forward to Well I'm glad we have a bit of positivity because up to last night it was just it was so negative and it's funny with the good results last night and this podcast will go out Friday but for the listeners we are recording this interview on Wednesday because uh, Paul is a busy busy man but anyway Paul um, yeah the, the WhatsApp group last night was quite 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 actually compared to um, previous games when it was when it was red hot that's the WhatsApp group of my supporters clubs at markets and as well I dipped into social media after the, the game which sometimes I don't do but I did dip in last night and uh, it was quite as well it, it, but you know Celtic fans I, uh, you know I think we were all happy that you know we, we, we saw a good performance Kilmarnock are definitely a team in trouble I hate I hate that plastic pitch I'm always worried about losing decent players to injury on it but look as you say it was a good result Scott Brown was back and uh, many of us brought him off and now we can lead from, from the front because it, it, it is needed the St Mirren game was was just uh, was was up there but you know as bad a performance as I've seen this, this season yeah. and we, we've seen so many bad performances I suppose January was was the month that a month like no other, you know. We call ourselves a club like no other, but <laughs> January was a month like no other. No, we went into that Rangers game confident because we we had you know with Turnbull and Sorrow coming into the team. I thought you know we have a good chance here. We played them off the park. We had the craziness of Beaton's red card. They get the three points and then the team flies after the boy. We've had to fall out from that. Well, there's been no sight or sound of this January review we were promised when uh, the fences outside Celtic Park were getting rattled. The only news we heard in January was Peter Lawwell uh, apologising for the winter breaking the sun and then the announcement that he's going to retire after 17 years as CEO. But the one we wanted to hear was what came out of this January review or was there a January review? I think there is a January review. I think much like the whole 
added value issue. It's something that the club have put out there in the hope that the supporters would forget about it, you know, would move on. Uh, the club certainly didn't anticipate the season that we've had. Um, and now, you know, we're obviously a few days into February and still no no actual news as to what the review uh, has decided. Um, so I think that just lip service on the part of the club, in all honesty. Um, January, very difficult month again. I mean, for the, the hip scheme, I basically had to persuade my son uh, in order to watch it. I had to say, like, go to watch it. We're probably going to end up putting it a youth team tonight, you know, we'll have a laugh watching it, it'll be good. And then we all ended up with a late goal, thinking this is actually brilliant, and turned it around. And of course, we conceded straight after that. Uh, and things didn't get much better for the rest of the month, and the performances certainly didn't get any better. Um, but I think, at least for some of the support, you know, the fact that Peter Lowell's decided to step down is seen as a positive development because it suggests there's going to be some change ahead, you know. Um, and certainly for me, I would like to see a lot of change in regard to the way the club speaks to the fans, communicates with the fans. I think that's just come to a grinding halt in recent months. Um, and there's been a lot of rumours, you know, that Peter Lowell was going to retire and it's come to pass. And it kind of, in my mind, it just kind of fuels this view that the club's just kind of gone down a couple of gears, you know, in terms of PR, um, other things out with the actual football team itself, you know, and we're, we're losing focus. Uh, the trip to Dubai is part of that. It seems as though the club actually had some strong arguments that they could have countered some of the criticism of Dubai. But yet, the way it was all handled and then when Peter Lowell did apologise then Neil Lennon seemed to contradict them you just thought you know it was so frustrating for the support just to see this lack of leadership and in many respects I think it's a bit sad um, that this is what a lot of people will remember Peter Lowell's time as chief executive you know that it's ended in the way that it, that it has anybody running a football club of course um, football performances the team's performances are absolutely crucial and they were very good for so long um, and now we're just obviously having to deal with the fallout of all that, you know, um, but try and be as positive as I can, try and find the humour in situations where I can, and I certainly think that's something that, as a support, we're generally quite good at, you know, so in the midst of all the accusations and counterclaims about Neil Lennon's status and the, the red circle with a line through it and all the rest of it, it's just, I still find some some humour, you know, uh, in the way that the fans are dealing with it, um, some people overreacting. Um, I think the real danger for us as a club and as a support, though, is that apathy starts to set in. You know, people start watch, don't watch the games as much as they did, start to lose a wee bit of interest. And that, to me, is the real challenge for Peter Lowell, because he's still the chief executive for the next few months. Um, the club need to do more to get the supporters reinvested in this season. You know, we need to come back with a much stronger challenge in the league. Um, we need to do much better, hopefully, in the cup competition if it runs as well. There's a lot to be salvaged from this season, uh, because the idea of having to go through February, March, April, May, um, performances that we've had with little to look forward to, uh, having paid full whack to watch it online, it's just going to be unacceptable. So the club still needs to step up. You know, it's not a question of just because Peter Lowell's decided to resign, um, they close the doors until June or July. Yeah, Paul, it's funny you should say that, that, you know, fans may lose interest. I know a couple of fans who would get up, you know, in the middle of the, of the, the night early morning to, to head to Belfast to get the ferry they run supporters buses I seen two in particular um, commenting on social media and I was surprised and both of them had said rather than watch the match they'd gone for a walk and these are not Johnny come lately fans these are not these are boys that have been gone for years and years one actually runs a bus so for them to say that they're losing interest yeah. and I had another um, I had Henry who's the, who's the sub editor of, of, of the fanzine I had Henry on the podcast uh, before Christmas and he had said that 
that he, he lives in Glasgow and he had said that people are getting used to doing other stuff he's now spending time with his grandchildren that he would have spent watching Celtic yeah. and he said and I'm, and I'm enjoying it and he's a man in his 60s you know so you know Celtic should never take um, the Celtic support for granted because there are other options for a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday and like if people who are running buses and are prepared to get up in the middle of the night to go to Belfast and get in a ferry spend a day travelling a couple of points and, and to watch Celtic and they're saying well I'm not going to watch it anymore I'm going for a walk you know that that sets alarm bells off in my head is the club hierarchy so far removed from the average fan on the street that they can't see this that's that's a real concern that I have you know that they don't really seem to understand um, some of the, the the things that matter to the supporters you know they mishandled the, the whole issue of the season ticket refund and I think they've paid for that that's cost them because a lot more fans have now sought a refund for last year than we were ever interested in. It's almost become a bit of a protest, I think, you know, to actually go and get the refund. Um, and they, they just seem to have lost, haven't shown good touch for a number of years, you know, in terms of dealing with the support and keeping the support on site. They just seem to have lost interest in that. And that's a definite concern. Um, as you say, Andrew, there's guys I know as well, you know, real diehards and um, interest some of them, you know, watching the game, watching bits of the game, you know. We've lost the social side of football and for a club like Celtic, I think that's absolutely crucial um, for a support like ours as well, you know, because for so many people I know, um, what you miss is the fact you get to meet up with people that you know very well. You know, you miss the trips um, to away games, you miss the trips to Europe as well. And these are the things that people live for, you know. So watching 90 minutes on your computer doesn't really come close. Um, and actually, the experience of watching Celtic play in empty stadiums is it's quite, it's quite hard going, you know. I'd actually much rather they did it without um, the fun old noise like they had on at times last night. I want to hear Neil Lennon swearing, you know, I want to hear him calling out Jim Goodwin like before. Um, I want to hear what the players are shouting at each other as well. But the whole thing's just quite strange. So Celtic and other clubs need to be careful uh, in terms of how they continue to manage this, you know, and this kind of loss of engagement with the fans is a real concern. They need to step up in that sense, you know. Um, this January review, you mentioned still nothing, you know. Um, for a club that down the years have been very fond of issuing statements when it suits them, nothing. Nothing coming from the chief executive and a kind of lack of leadership, as I said earlier. Um, it's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous when it was in the, the Ronnie Dyla years as well, you know, when Neil Lennon left the club first time round as manager. I just get the impression with the appointment of Ronnie Dyla, as exciting as that was at times, the club was almost put into cold storage. You know, they got a, a fairly cheap manager's replacement. Um, there was a clear um, drop in attendances at Celtic Park. Um, and the club just seemed to be happy to let that go on. Um, and then fortunately, Brendan Rodgers was available and wanted to come and they managed to get Brendan Rodgers. And everything changed radically in a short period of time. And we had those um, three years of unprecedented success. Absolutely incredible. Looking back, on it, you know, I mean, this thing stand at the moment. Um, we've just watched their team win 12 trophies in succession. It's absolutely unbelievable. Um, going to Hamden two, three times a year, constantly winning is something I'll never, I'll never forget and never stop savouring because so many great moments um, in all the ways and all those different finals and semi-finals. And before that, we had a bit of a Hamden hoodoo, you know. Um, and Neil Lennon did exceptionally well taking over uh, in the circumstances that he did, and I can understand why for a lot of 
of the older supporters, they don't like to see Neil Lennon get any kind of criticism. Um, but at the same time, you know, for a big body of the support, um, current performances going over months now unacceptable. So I think the season could have been salvaged earlier if they changed manager. Easy to say that in hindsight. For me, the turning point was the uh, the um, Sparta Prague game at home, four one at home. I don't think Neil Lennon would have survived as manager that night if the crowds were in. Um, for other people, it came before with the Rangers game, the Fer- uh, the Ferbachi game. Um, sorry, Ferbachi. Um, who am I thinking of? Champions League exit. Fern, um, Fern, 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 it seems to me quite a dangerous strategy they're playing. Yeah, I, I and I could be wrong, but I think we may have to wait for the announcement of a manager because there's a possibility, and I could be I could be wide off the mark here, but I think you know Dermot Desmond didn't get where he is without you know being a clever, clever man, and I just think that he has to have a plan B, and maybe he has a manager in mind that they can't announce because he may be under contract. That's you know that's the only logical thing I can think of because after the January we've witnessed, I, I'm just very surprised, and I've backed. Neil, up until December, I had said no. When we went out of Europe, I said no, he deserves a shot, he deserves his chance. In December, I said, look, if we go on a run in December, you know, we've a League Cup game, we should win, which we didn't. Then we had, you know, then we dropped points to St. Johnson. Obviously, we dropped points down to Rangers. But I thought if we had gone on a run and beat Rangers at Oibrox, that we could have that, you know, the momentum would carry us then. But obviously, we didn't have the December we we, we all thought we would have. And yep. um, we, we, we had more disappointment. So, it's not as if I I've been calling since we didn't qualify for the Champions League for Neil Lennon to be sacked um, and it's nothing personal you know and I wouldn't be personal about it but I think that you know without change I think there's too much too much water that's going on the bridge now I think you know we need fresh ideas and maybe a fresh start and if that if that means fresh start is building for next season well then so be it because the disappointment of this season will take us through the summer and I suppose I'm lucky I don't meet too many Rangers fans <laughs> You know, there's one in there's one in the whole building that that I have my office in, and he's he's working from home, so he, he can't even glow because I've given him some stick, you know, over the years. But like I can imagine for those who are, are working in Glasgow now or Scotland, you know, it must be. Look, and I know they've given it to them for nine years, but still, it's it's just it's so hard to take, you know. And you know that's where you know the frustration is boiling over there, where in the isolation of of, of my hometown, Drada, I'm not going to have a summer where I'm going to be seeing many rangers jerseys are jumping you know, jumping in and out of arguments with them so I suppose from that point of view I'm in a safe zone but for you boys in Glasgow and you girls in Glasgow it's going to be a different tale look anyway we spoke enough about the, the current situation and we may we, it may pop up again before we finish but look Paul obviously you know, you have a huge love and knowledge of, of Celtic. So take me back to a young Paul McQuaid. Tell us a little bit about yourself growing up, starting to follow Celtic and then continuing into your, you know, into getting involved in bits and pieces. 
Well, um, grew up initially in Lanarkshire, so not far from Glasgow, in a wee village called Newt Hill. Um, dad's a Celtic fan. He's not a he's not a you know massive Celtic fan. Um, he's only for his adult life went to games occasionally. Um, went first went to Celtic Park. I think it was a friendly against Penarol, the Uruguayan team. So probably in about seventy six, I would have been five at the time. I seem to remember my big cousin uh, took me, my brother, and two cousins along. Very limited memories of that, you know, given the age, but I kind to remember a little bit about the old ground um, but then we moved to Fife um, I got more interested in Celtic going through school um, one of the boys I befriended became best friends with um, my pal Alex he was a huge Celtic fan um, so um, he he was at the Real Madrid game in 1980 you know he was telling me all these stories um, and then I didn't get back to Celtic Park first actual competitive game was um, 11th birthday present from my parents you know so that was 1980 um, the way it's turned out is quite incredible. Um, Johnny, Do- Johnny Doyle died on my 11th birthday, you know, so that was my, my birthday present was to get to Celtic Park and it was the first home game after Johnny's death. Um, and we were actually we were in the main stand. My dad was always quite anxious going to Celtic Park. Never took me and my brother into the jungle. Uh, it was usually the main stand or sometimes the big terracing. Um, so we're in the main stand that day, beat Aberdeen 2-1. So Gordon Strachan up close, annoying all the Celtic fans. Um, and from then on, that was it. You know, I was pressuring my dad to bring me through from Fife for games. And he was getting a bit more into it. Uh, I remember he made a made a big exception, come through to see Celtic because we'd signed Morris Johnson. In 1984, because that was a big thing, you know. But he was a cracking striker, um, so that was exciting. Never heard. <laughs> well, I, I think it was that day. It was certainly that season. Um, I persuaded my dad to hang about outside so I could get some autographs in front of the old stand, and uh, he bought me a Celtic pennant from the store, and I got three Celtic autographs: Alan McInally, Pierce O'Leary, and Morris Johnson. And they'd all left within a year as well. So it was a pretty redundant pennant after a while. Um, but the other big thing that happened was um, Alec uh, had a neighbour who used to take him to the, the big games, uh, the supporters bus from, from Fife. And then Alec and I started going on that on occasions. Um, and then the occasional Rangers games as well. We would lie to our parents, we'd make up fictional five-a-side tournaments in Perth so that we could skip away on the supporters' bus. And the big concern there was you could get on the bus uh, in Glenorthus, that would have been the Cowden Reef supporters' bus, but it wasn't until like four stops on until they knew if they had enough tickets for you to get one. So <laughs> I was quite nervous for the first 40 minutes or so. Um, but in fact, every time we were sorted and we got through, so we saw our first couple of uh, Celtic Rangers games together and that was it and then my dad was getting into it a bit more and he was taking us through Davy Province testimonial at the Notts Forest um, away sorry the Notts Forest game in Europe in 83 that was my first European game so between my dad and my pal Alex you know the love for Celtic, Celtic developed from there and then as I got older, I realised that um, Celtic connection with my family went back a long way um, so I used to stay where I, where I grew up initially, New Hill and Kerfin. I used to go and stay there in the summer with my great aunt. Her son had been a big Celtic fan. He had all these books, which she just gifted to me. Um, one of Tom Campbell's, Tom Campbell's first book about Celtic post-war and um, the Bob Kelly book as well. So I was reading up the history of the club from about the age of 14, 15 onwards. And it's, ever since then, it's always just been exciting for me, you know. Um, 
I don't go with these claims that say, you know, a Celtic, a club like no other, you know, these kind of corporate slogans, they're all fairly meaningless. Um, but I think we've got a history, which is quite unique. And that's because of the nature of the support that we have, which is quite unique as well. Um, so it's become a bit of a passion, as well as supporting the club. It's become a passion finding out more about the people um, who've made Celtic the club they are, but also the support and the fans and everything that's wrapped up in it. And I think that's what makes Celtic really quite different, you know. Yeah, and your fanzine is a little different than the other fanzines, including my own, and not the view and the alternative view. Give the boys a shout out, fair play to for keeping print alive. Yeah. Um, for us all the time. But yours is yours is a little different because yours is more historical. Um it doesn't really deal with the, the ins and outs of the day, but it delves back and um it's fantastic. I, I love it. Um and I think my favourite cover is the is the one coming out, Billy McNeil coming out of the tunnel Argentina. In, in Lisbon. Or in Argentina, excuse me. I think that's a fabulous picture. And if anyone has gets a chance, go onto the Shamrock website and you'll be able to purchase the fanzines and have a look at the covers. Even they're they're, they're beautiful. The covers alone are, are, are a beautiful art, I think. Um, and they, they do draw you in. But then it's when you get inside and and you read what's inside, it's quality. So obviously, the, the, this goes back to getting these books gifted here. Yeah, and then the experience of being on supporters buses, you know, um, and some of the characters that used to be in the Cowden Beef bus. Um, and I mean, I wasn't on that any week by any stretch of imagination. I didn't have the money. Um, but as I said, you know, it was enough with the games my dad would take me to and then the games that Alex and I would go to as well. By the time the centenary season came round, and I was um, 17 um, last year at school, getting ready to go to uni and all the rest of it, you know, um, it was already a huge part of my life. Not the view had just started. Uh, I'd heard about Not The View, I think, from issue two onwards. Um, I used to sell it in school. Uh, I then got to know George and Jerry. I used to sell it in the games, and Joe as well. Um, so I was involved in a very, very little bit with that by the time I was a student. But the next big thing was, as a student, um, I went, went to um, Edinburgh Uni. And the supporters club there, the Harry Watt Edinburgh Uni's bus, had been going for a few years. And um, the boys who ran it, um, who were in the years before me um, they're all still good pals and boys who have joined girls who have joined the club since it's a brilliant club so the friendships and the stories that then came from being part of that supporters club itself and then other supporters clubs in Edinburgh as well getting to know those boys we do joint buses and away trips and all this that absolutely brilliant you know um, just one adventure after another and uh, you know how fond Celtic fans of my age are of talking about the gruelling 90s. Um, I think, actually, probably the season I went to most games would have been about 91 or 92. And um, Celtic were dreadful. There was no getting away from it. But the support, the support just kept going. You know, And that's the thing that I think that we're missing at the moment and we're starting to realise. It's this whole, whole social side to supporting Celtic, which is is so important. So even though the club, the team were dreadful and the club were in absolute disarray at that period of time, the support were still having good fun. Um, from the Tony Mowbray testimonial, there's a picture of the a banner in the Celtic crowd at that game, and it's um, the old Monty Python song that the fans were chanting at the time, always look on the bright side of life, you know? And we were going through 
a, a time in our history that's one of the worst, you know, almost as bad as the 40s into the, the early 50s and then uh, the early 60s before Jock came. Um, but the fans were there, you know, and you still see people talking on some of the forums about some of the brilliant trips they had in the 90s. And that's the thing, that's never going to change. So even if we go through a period of um, relative uh, lack of success over the next year or two and the home attendances dip, it's fine, you know. Celtic will get through it because the support always get them through it. And um, and that's the kind of stuff um makes me very philosophical about times like this. You know, I always do my best to enjoy the great moments. And that's why, you know, we've just come through this incredible period of uh, success to club's history and we absolutely lapped it up. For a year or two there, you'd see fans from other clubs saying, oh, you must be getting sick of this. <laughs> it certainly wasn't. It was one fantastic memory after another, watching great football, great quality football, and um, all these memorable events coming so close together. Um, but time moves on, and um, even as difficult as it is now generally, you know, there's still, as I said, you know, with all the spats you get online, there's so much humour still amongst a lot of the stuff that the Celtic fans do, and that's always been one of the big attractions. Yeah, I think the best I've seen on social media was on Twitter um, about someone posted up and then Sham was going to Marseille and he said the fans are the fans are bored at the training ground and it still looks like a better option, <laughs> you know. And then obviously we had the fallout of um, in, in Sham, uh, you know, the, the manager, the manager resigning because <laughs> they signed in Sham, you know. Like, but I have to say, and like you know, uh, Villas Boas, you have to you have to take your hat off to him because. Yeah. You know, this has been happening at Celtic since Gordon Strachan was there. You know, like when you think back, you know, he didn't know who Paddy McCord was when he arrived. Yeah, Demi exactly. Desmond had signed Paddy McCord on the recommendation of someone who watched Paddy in the League of Ireland. And by the way, Paddy was outstanding in the League of Ireland, you know. Went on to be a cult hero at Celtic. But like Paddy has said that a friend knew Derma and knew Paddy was speaking to English club. And, you know, the call went into Derma. Derma obviously rang Peter Law. Well, I don't think Peter rang Gordon Strachan because, you know, the Thomas Gravis designer remains a mystery to everybody. <laughs> and Roy Keane, you know, an injured and aging Roy Keane comes up for a couple of months, like, you know, striking, you know, striking, I suppose if you read between the lines and in interviews, he 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 wasn't expecting them to come either. So does yeah. you know, Man O'Neill obviously, you know, was was the man. He 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 ran the club from top to bottom. He he seemed to have he seemed to have Dermot in his um pocket and I was at a dinner one night with Martin O'Neill in Drada for the Gary Kelly Cancer Centre and Martin was the guest and all Dermot Desmond's staff were, were sitting at the table with him so he, he definitely he definitely had a huge influence on Dermot as as the other guy that rang over the Paddy McCourt most of and then if you go back further when you talk to you know the Lisbon Lions we interviewed the Lisbon Lions and such you know before Jack Steen came in, the board were picking the team, you know, the chairman yeah. was picking the team. So so it, yeah. there's always been, you know, outside influence on the manager. But since Strang came in, well, we don't really know much about Moby, but, you know, maybe he didn't want Robbie Keane to come in and save him because he certainly didn't. And, and, and I suppose the start of it was when Lenny left and Ronnie came in because we're told that Ronnie was supposed to be his number two because they wanted to start selecting the coaching staff as well. And obviously when you look at the dugout now, it would seem that way. So, like, the interference is always there. But without going off track with, with Phyllis Bowes and the Incham thing, which is, <laughs> as you say, you know, you'll always get a laugh, you know, every day being a Celtic fan. It might be hard at the moment, but there is some, still some crack to be had among the fans and some great humour. 
what you were saying there about the stories you heard on the Edinburgh um, University bus. Funny, um, Kieran Kenny was on a couple of months ago, and Kieran runs the Lave Park bus, and he writes for the fans in. And I served my apprenticeship on those boats, listening to these stories from you know elderly gentlemen, and especially when I start the fans in, because they all start telling me stories to put in it, and. I don't travel on the boat now, not very often. I normally fly now, but Kieran's still in the boat. And some of the gentlemen that would have told me the stories have passed away or, or are too old to go now. And we were saying, you know, we should have captured. There was no podcast then when we, you know, the, not, not much social media. You had a fanzine and I think you had dial up website. So, you know, you, could, you hadn't got the, you know, I had a dictaphone, I remember when I interviewed Tommy Gemmel. So that was kind of the, you know, that was the state of the art one. I didn't have to put a mic in. There was a built-in microphone. I was, you know, really, really good. Because Tommy was actually the first person I interviewed for the fans. Wow. Back in, back in, and in Yuri in the back of a shop. It's very glamorous. He was launching a Celtics Porter shop and I, and I gay crashed and got me first interview in the stock room. Wow. But, but anyway, yeah, and there was all these great stories. And um, so we sat with Kieran and said, look, why don't we bring a book out of, you know, these stories? So we're kind of, it's kind of went off the agenda. We haven't really spoke about it since, but we're going to do it. And probably the line will go down to get people to write chapters because I don't know anything about a book, so you might be able to help me out. Indeed, maybe, yeah. maybe you might write a chapter about, you know, the 1991 season and travelling on that bus, if you can still remember. And maybe some of the characters and the stories, because if we don't get these stories down now, it's different now with the podcast. There's great stories coming out, you know, players are telling stories and the likes of David Potter who we had on last week is you know he's he giving you a history lesson and yeah, so, you know like like the school teacher he is but there's so much we can capture now and then I know like we talk about games and we give out about managers and all that but if we can get you know one gem of a story in each podcast it's great but if we could put it down in a book it'd be even better because I think the history of the fans is is probably not as important as the history of the club and what, is, what it has achieved and what it stands for. But boy, God, there's some great stories in there that, you know, I've had stories in pubs and you just, you know, you're bent over laughing. And I've been on trips and some of the stuff that has happened, I'll just give it an instance and I'm not going to say who it was or anything, right? But I met someone that runs a bus in Amsterdam and he said, you're not going to believe what's just happened. This was in the red light district in Amsterdam. He says, one of the young lads on the bus has just been arrested. I said, for what? He says, he was caught with drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked, I looked around and everyone's high as a kite. You know, the full story of that bus trip. Oh, anyone's gone that's gone on them European buses, you know. If you got the stories from them buses, there would be an X-rated book. Oh, unbelievable. <laughs> Maybe you will help us out with a chapter. Oh, I, absolutely. And that's, that's exactly the stuff that fascinates me, Andrew, you know. And, um, it's something that, with the forums, um, a lot of the stories are on there. You can search them. You know, I've been in the habit of, if I find a story like that about a, a supporter's bus server, I'll probably copy-paste it in a Word document so you can always find it on your computer, you know. Um, and as you said, there's some legendary stories of um, the Salt Market bus and some of their trips across Europe. Um, buses that came back from Turin in 81 with all their windows put in before they'd left Italy. You know, they're travelling through the Alps with no windows. You laugh about it now, of course, you know. Um, oh, and just, yeah, some of the songs, some of the stories you hear. Um, there's, been, there's been a few attempts at trying to capture that. Um, 
down the years, you know. Um, there's a couple of good books kind of out there. Um, there's one actually good one, Celtic and Rangers, that a journalist did probably about early, early 90s, which is great because it's just people telling their own stories, you know, and there's obviously a bit of a connection between the two supports, which is what was of interest to him. But some of the Celtic stories in that are fantastic, and uh, you'll know a lot of the names of the people that contributed to them as well because they're still kicking about, you know. Um, so it's become a wee bit easier to um, put together some of that stuff, you know. Um, I'm particularly interested in the Celtic Break Clubs. Um, there's a book, um, I don't think I'm going to remember the author's name, but the book's called The Global Game. Um, it's, you know, three, four-inch thick history uh, of the sport of football. It's called The Ball is Round. And um, in it, the author, uh, Celtic only get a couple of fleeting mentions, but in it, he basically says Celtic fans invented away days. Celtic were the first support. To, to actually organise trips to away games in any meaningful sense. And then, and then you come across stories of um, the break clubs um, going to games at Motherwell, fighting with a mob outside the Orange Hall near the railway station, which is still there, uh, the Govan break club being attacked by these Orange guys. And then on the way back, four other break clubs joining the, the Govan break club to head back to the Orange Hall and what turned into a mini-riot. And this is in 1914, you know. So with newspaper archives opening up online as well, um, and a lot of Scottish and Irish and English papers being included in them, you can now find some of these stories, you know. And um, that's certainly something that I would like to, to do a bit more of um, and just try and capture some of it as well. But as you said, the technology is there now um, for people to get these stories down in writing, you know. Um, myself and... My friend Brendan Brendan Sweeney, we interviewed uh, a Celtic fan who's 101 years old um, a couple of times over before the pandemic. And I've been with a view to writing up his kind of life story, you know, in an article form, putting on the website. And hopefully I'll get that done in the next couple of weeks because the family now will give me some further information. And um, this is a guy who, and this is where the interest came for Brendan and I, used to drink as a young man in Willie Mealy's pub when Willie Mealy was serving behind the bar and he and his pals would speak to the Celtic players of the day so we're talking late 20s, early 1930s and his stories then all the way through you know um, living in Glasgow, unfortunately he's still with us, so you're right the, the intention there is get the stories down, written um, well these people are still here to share them you know, because it's uh, this is our social history and it's absolutely important that we learn it and we learn from it. Yeah, you mentioned Brennan there. Brennan, another great uh, man, a great Celtic man, and he's been involved in so many things. And his name, we always ask for, um, to keep people to send in their comments and uh, what they like about or don't like about the podcast. And we also ask them for suggestions. And no matter who is suggested, we reach out if we can. Some of them are kind of outrageous suggestions, but we do reach out uh, and we normally get told to F off in a nice way or they just don't come back to us. But um, Brendan's name keeps popping up and I've asked Brendan, but he, he's too shy to come on. So Brendan, if you're listening, and we hope you are, there's a shout out now out public. We want you on he the was, show because you have some story to tell. He, he really does, you know, and... Um, his, his most recent book he came out um, just before Christmas there and he was delighted it came out during the pandemic because it meant he didn't need to do any publicity for it you know um, I can think of only one um, one thing that he did online 
promoting the early years when it came out, and that was with um, Jim Craig, you know, and he was happy to do that, and he was they were taking questions online and answering them live. But you're right, he just he just hates talking in that kind of public forum um, about stuff, you know. But if you get him at a Celtic Graves event, um, then you can hear some of the some of his stories, you know, um, and absolutely valuable uh, because he's had a kind of front seat in so much the things that have gone on in Celtic. But even for someone like Brendan, his stories of going to see Celtic as a young boy with his dad and his brothers in the 70s and the 80s, absolutely fantastic as well, you know. And um, someone you had on recently, Eddie Toner. Eddie's an absolute master um, with these stories. And Eddie's got this kind of Celtic lineage um, through his family. I think in that famous video, the Denison number one bus, uh, singing the singing the the seven one song. Uh, I think Eddie's mum might be in that as well. Eddie's granddad used to be the groundsman at Celtic Park. He's got so many stories about that. Absolutely brilliant. So um, these people are treasures, you know. And this is why it's great to have this kind of forum, you know, to be able to get these people up, get them speaking, uh, and share their stories. But yeah, Brendan, he's he's, he's much less reluctant, unfortunately. Yeah, Eddie, Eddie's podcast was a very good and, and proved. Um, I think we got some new listeners in from Eddie because he has he's a big following on Twitter. <laughs> but but it's, uh, Eddie Toner, Michael by day, taxi driver by night. Um, you know, but yeah, but I'm Brandon. Like coming into my head now, sells for change, involve sells for change. The Jungle Boys, the original, you know, also group, but you know, at the stadium. His books, you know, his research into these books and the early Celtic history, uh, the fanzine he done, you know, he just has done so much over the years. And yeah, those people, if they if they if they get a couple of people that like that tweet, or um, to get the first thousand followers on social media, they think they've made it. They think they are Celtic royalty within the fan. <laughs> but you know, they should take a leaf out of Brendan's book maybe and see what he's done. You know. Because we live in a kind of a world now where everyone wants instant celebrity. Well, Brendan had the Brendan had the walk in his, and he doesn't really want it, but he is. He, it's a name that keeps popping up, as I said. Now you mentioned the Celtic Graves there with Brendan. Is Brendan another founding member of the Celtic Graves? That's right. Yeah, I think there's maybe about the members really came from the forums. You know, the three big forums: the um, Kerryl Street Huddle Board, Celtic Minded, and um, the guys that are on the committee now. I think it's we're, we're all original members, uh, except for Kenny. Kenny joined in the last couple of years. Um, so I can still think back. Yeah, Kev was Kev came from um, the Huddle Board. Frank and Jim came from Celtic Minded. Um, Brendan, on most of those forums, you know. Um, but I knew Brendan from the Jungle Boys. And I Brendan and I had already been looking up graves and stuff, you know, of, um, and had looked at some of the people who were buried uh, along the road from Celtic Park in St Peter's Dalbeth. Um, and that was because the book, The Alphabet of the Celts, listed where some of the graves were for guys like Barney Battles. Um, Barney Battles, he died quite young. I think he was still playing football. He wasn't playing for Celtic. Lived in Bridgeton at the time. This is about 1902, 1903. And um, 20,000 people turned out for Barney Battles' funeral from all the way from Bridgeton up to St Peter's on London Road. Absolutely incredible. And there's a cracking wee headstone still there. So Brendan knew that I'd been doing stuff like that and he invited me along to that first meeting. And as I said, I think um, you know, five of us at least are still involved and we're just celebrating our 10th year at the moment. But of course, um, our events have come to a halt 
because of the pandemic, you know. Um, but we're still looking and thinking ahead, and we're hoping we're hoping that we can uh, celebrate Johnny Thompson's anniversary in September this year, because probably the the biggest thing that we've done was ten years ago uh, with the um, Celtic supporters in Fife, uh, the Loch Gelly bus, the Carden Den uh, supporters as well. We helped organise this walk from Celtic Park all the way through to Johnny Thompson's resting place in Carden Den. The inspiration for that was the fact that when he died in 1931, large numbers of Celtic fans uh, didn't have the money, decided to walk through from Glasgow and Lanarkshire and just camped in the hills overlooking Carden Den uh, in order to attend the funeral. So that was the inspiration. And we had about, I think, maybe 30 or 40 people did the walk. Um, People like Brendan Sweeney and I didn't complete it much, but we did get to the Kincardine Bridge um, on the second day. Um, but quite a few people completed it. And then uh, the Logelli bus, after that, they organised, and the, the Fife Base fans were organising cycles every year um, from Celtic Park through. So this year we're hoping we can put, put on a similar type of event, walking from Celtic Park to Carden Den. But of course, it's all up in the air at the moment, you know. Unfortunately, we've not been able to have any of our commemorations, which we, we love getting involved with. We love doing the research for uh, and the preparation. And um, increasingly, the events are getting more and more people, you know. And we've had fantastic support from the people at the club um, down the years as well for these events. And former players have been brilliant coming along, saying a few words as well. So hopefully, you know, that's one of the things we're looking forward to get back doing once all this ends. Do you look after the graves if there's no family around or anything like that? Or, or is it just simply commemorating the players at the graveside? At the start, what we were doing was um, marking graves of Celtic players that um, didn't have headstones, you know. So the first one that we did was Dan Doyle, who's buried in Dalbeth. Um, and it turned out, unbelievable number of Celtic founding fathers and leading Celtic players uh, right through to Jimmy McMenemy, Jimmy McGrory's buddy there as well, um, Willie O'Neill, the Lisbon Line, is buried there too. Um, so all the way from the, the very first days, John Glass, um, Dr Conway, all the leading people that founded the club are buried in Dalbeth as well. So that's fortunate, you because know, that may, means we could have a lot of ceremonies um, on match days when the fans are in Glasgow, fans from England, fans from Ireland. Um, we still need to have it about 12 o'clock, though, you know, so it's a little bit early for some. But that's been really good, you know, it's been a great way to involve uh, more supporters in our events as well. So mostly it was about marking places where headstones had, had disappeared or maybe had never been there in the first place. And it's through that that we've got to know some of the families and then the families in turn. So if the headstones um, or the monuments um, had become weathered to that, um, we've got this great guy, Danny Rooney, who's a monumental sculptor. Danny comes in, tidies them up for us, you know. Uh, And then sometimes the families who were unaware, in some cases, that their ancestors were, were buried there. They then take on that responsibility. They've gone and had their own ceremonies in some cases as well, you know. So it's really all about um, identifying resting places that aren't marked, keeping restoring them, keeping them going as well. Um, but because we're now 10 years into it, we're now going to have to consider um, going back to some of the stones that we've put down and some of the headstones like Willie Maley's. The Willie Maley headstone, that was actually the inspiration for the Grave Society, came through a, a Celtic fan in Kerrydale Street who'd found Willie Maley's grave in Cathcart Cemetery. And I don't think Willie Maley's name was on it, 
the family headstone. Um, and the club paid for that to get cleaned up and for Willie Mealy's name to get to get put on it beside his, his parents, his wife and his children. Um, and so that was the inspiration for the Grave Society. So well, where else is there, you know? If we've got somebody as important as Willie Mealy's grave, which hasn't been recognised, um, and it turned out there's quite a lot because it's it's not the fault of the families, you know? If you're 100 years on, even though you know you've got a famous cell in your family, doesn't mean you necessarily know where they're buried, you know, especially given that families have moved around as well. Um, so it's surprising. There's still a lot of work out there to be done, you know, but unfortunately we're, we're kind of halted at the moment. Um, there's a few, certainly a few early Celts that we're still looking to get headstones down, marking stones down for, and uh, a few others like, you know, we've talked for years, want to go over to have an event for Charlie Tully, um, but again, he's got cracking headstone in Belfast have an event marking Patsy Gallagher over in Donegal as well we've not actually had an event Patsy but he's along the MA on the way to Glasgow airport we've not had an event there either so still got lots to do it's fascinating uh, I'm just uh, I'm just kind of I was lost I was lost listening to you now uh, not not very often I'm lost for words although I, I think I was when David Law was speaking about Fergus McCann I just I just get I get engrossed in these conversations Right, now listen, that brings me on to another thing you do because uh, you like to keep busy, obviously. <laughs> I spoke to you at Selig AM. You were, you were you came into Selig AM. You've been in a few times um, in Malone's and you promised to bring me on the, the Warford walking tour <laughs> and Henry was there, the, as I mentioned Henry earlier on, and Henry was going, oh, I'd like to go on that. So we booked in with you. Uh, you said, well, I'm not starting, I'm not starting until... Was it April or March or April? Time, yeah. yeah. I think this was around February, maybe. Yeah. yeah, February. And we said, right. I says, I said, I'd love to come over and there's no match on to, you know, to do it so they are not rushing. So we agreed to do it. And obviously, uh, we didn't plan for the war pandemic. So we spoke briefly because normally in Malone's, you know, if anyone hasn't been there or hasn't been at a Cell Game show, it's normally three or four guests. They come up and speak for 15, 20 minutes. It could be a writer, author, player, musician, whatever, but they've all got a love of Celtic or a connection with Celtic. And we, I don't normally then get time to, to speak because at two o'clock, we're rushing off to the game. And, but you did tell me a little bit about the tour and I was really looking forward to doing it and I am still looking forward to doing it. What a way to make my triumphal return to Glasgow the day before a game to, to, to go on this walking tour. Well, look, we're living in a virtual life at the moment. You spoke about the virtual season ticket earlier on. Can you take me and the listeners, you know, through this walk? What would we expect? Where would we be? What would we expect to see? Well, it's really a story of betrayal, Andrew. It's betrayal by Eddie Toner because one of the inspirations for the walking tour was for me to go and lose a bit of weight by getting out and walking, you know? And... Um, so I'd done, I'd done a couple of articles um, about Celtic's foundation in that area, um, St Mary's and the Calton, you know, the parishes, the three parishes. But I thought there's a bit of a kind of unknown element to this story here, and it's the Bridgeton connection to Celtic, uh, and it's to do with Walford. So I started, I was living in the Gorbals at the time, after I met my wife and she was living there and I moved in. And so that meant at lunchtime I could jump on the bike and nip round to the, the area just down from Celtic Park, between Celtic Park and the river. And um, because I was thinking this is 
and the books were telling me, you know, this is where Glengarry Park was. This is also where Clyde's original ground was, the opposite side of the river from uh, the old ground. And this is where Celtic won the first trophy. Uh, this is where Brother Walford's youth teams started playing matches. This is kind of Walford's early connections with football start coming in as well. And then I was realising, I'm going out in the back and realizing, these places... You can now see them again because there's been so many things, um, so much renovation done in the east end of Glasgow. A lot of places being knocked down. Uh, a lot of places starting to reappear, including where you could tell football grounds have been covered up by tenements and schools and all the rest of it. So from that, I started to get into the story of Bridgeton. And what I found was that I knew that Brother Wilfred started the school there, the Sacred Heart Primary School. He was the first headmaster, so he came from St Mary's School and that was the, the job that he had, and this would have been about the 1870s. And interestingly, there was a big Irish population uh, in that part of East End at that time. Now, Bridgeton, of course, is regarded as an orange area, as a loyalist area, but if you go back to 150 years ago, it's much more mixed area than the reputation suggests. You had Irish of both Protestant and Catholic uh, origins living in different parts of the, the village uh, named after Dublin or Belfast, depending on where the Irish had come from, because a lot of the beefers were Protestant, uh, originally called Scottish ancestry. So Walford's charged with starting up this new Catholic primary school uh, in Bridgeton, part of the Sacred Heart Parish. And he has all these ideas based on his experience at St Mary's. And I think from Brendan's research, he was at another school in Glasgow as well, after he'd done his religious training in France. And one of the things that we're all waiting on, and might be coming out soon, I don't know, but um, we've got a PhD student who's been doing his studies on the Walford story. He's been over. And Michael, he's been over in Paris, uh, so he's been over in France. He's done research there based on the Marist records. And I think we're now going to get a much better understanding of the origins of Brother Wilfred, the background, and indeed the inspirations. So once Michael gets his PhD concluded and it's published, um, we're going to be in a much better place to understand Wilfred's life story. Um, but Bridgeton is part of that story. And as I say, they begin to realise um, that... A lot of it's still there. Sacred Heart Church is still there. Sacred Heart School, though it's a different building, is still there. Um, as we know, St Mary's Church is still there. All the original parishes for which Celtic were founded um, to support. The street um, at the back of the school, where the poor children's dinner table kitchen was set up, that street's still there. You can still see all that. So then I realised, well, you can tell this story. We can tell this story on foot, you know. Um, starting at Celtic Park working our way down, Glencarry Park, where Walford's youth teams played, um, Clyde's original ground. Celtic won their first ever trophy there at the end of the first season. We didn't win the Scottish Cup. We made it to the final, but we did win the North East Glasgow Football Association Cup. Uh, and then from there, and in fact, and that where Glengarry Park was, that became known as the, the Catholic area of Bridgeton. And then through the last century, when you had the massive gang culture in Glasgow, that was where the clashes were taking place between the Protestant and Billy Boys gangs and two or three different gangs based in that part of Bridgeton. So there's some interesting stories about that. The comedian Janie Godley, I read it, I think that she wrote in the newspapers probably a few years ago. Um, she had a pal in one day whose auntie um, was an expert at cleaning ovens. 
So Janie Godley's pal came in with her old auntie. So Janie's speaking to her and asking her stories. Find out she came from Bridgeton. She's asking her about that. So it turns out that um, this old woman was part of the Catholic gang, the Norman Conks, in the 1940s and 50s. Um, she helped a group of pals uh, attack an orange march, hit a guy over the head with a hammer. They got rid of the hammer because these people had assaulted the priest. Uh, she had all these incredible stories. This woman in her 80s who was this oven cleaner supreme. So the walking tour is basically an attempt to try and piece all that together out on foot. Generally takes about two or three years. Celtic Park to Bridgeton. Uh, Bridgeton two or three years. Oh, sorry. <laughs> 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 Me explaining it takes two or three years. <laughs> it generally takes two or three hours. Um, over to St Mary's and... Behind St Mary's, uh, we have a look at where the hall was, where Celtic were founded as well, because there's been a lot of um, confusion about that, and it was Celtic supporters in the Cardio Street Forum who got to the heart of that and managed to locate it. Uh, and then on to the Gallagate. Obviously, most Celtic fans very well acquainted with the Gallagate, but a lot of the founding fathers lived there. Tommy Burns grew up in the street just off it, very close to where the hall was where Celtic originally founded. And then we tell the story of the break clubs because there's a great um, drawing of one of the uh, the Kamlaki Celtic break club, which is the area just behind Celtic Park, heading back into town, um, as we go up to um, the first ever, the first Celtic Park, which again, because of the changes that have been made in the East End, um, the bars factory's gone, they built flats on it, but you can actually walk through in between the flats and in the shadow of the current Celtic Park, you can get an idea of what the layout was um, for the original Celtic Park. Neely McCallum scored the first Celtic goal there. And there's a lot of good history attached to that, uh, which Brendan's covered in his books as well. So the betrayal comes in the fact that, you know, started the tours. Eddie got in touch. Eddie came on board. Eddie just just helped improve it, you know, because Eddie's able to tell people about what's happening with the famine statue at St Mary's, um, the other stories about his involvement with the Brother Walford statue in the front of Celtic Park as well. And Eddie was heavily involved in that in the Sports Association. Um, but as I said, you know, the betrayal comes in the fact that this was done by me to help get me to lose some weight, as well as telling the history of Celtic. Pandemic comes, walking tour comes to an end, and now Eddie Toner's gone and shifted about three stone in weight on his own. And I'm as fat as ever was before the walking tours even start. Well, don't worry. There'll be plenty of people after hearing this wanting to get on them walking tours when we get back. When we get back. I hope so. I, hope so. I, I can't wait to do it. Um, and I think now, I'm not boasting, but we do have one or two listeners. I think it might be inundated when we get back because <laughs> there's a few of us have put on a few pounds and what, what a way to lose it going around and listening to this fantastic story. And the further you go back, now 150 years, again, Glasgow is such a, my wife always says when we're walking through Glasgow, she always says, look up. And mm-hmm. you look up and you see, you see the architecture and, you know, and she's all, she's way into history and everything. So I'll probably have to bring on out to Glasgow for, for that because every time I go to Glasgow, I, I go to a game, go for a few beers with the boys. And every time I go with my missus, I see something new. I've seen, I've been on the tour bus. I've been in every museum. I've been in the, the People's Palace. And just before the lockdown, the last week she was off with me, she had me on the Central Station and I was freezing. <laughs> But it was great as well. It was great. But like, there you go. That's the difference in going with the boys and going with your missus. It's always a bit different. You know, um, <laughs> same when we go to Edinburgh. She has me dragged around everywhere. And thankfully, but she never brought me on the, the hearts walking tour. But that, that, that could be another story. 
What Paul does within Celtic fandom is remarkable. One of the longest chats I've had for the podcast, but I'm sure you will agree it was worth keeping the old tape recorder running. A quality conversation, and trust me, the second part is every bit as good. Paul talks about Johnny Doyle and even climbs into the Tim Time Machine and takes us back to some of his glory days and memories. So don't forget to tune in for the next podcast. Mode 90 Minutes issue 113 is just about finished and about to go to the graphic designer. So you can now pre-order the print edition by visiting the website celticfansin.com where you'll find the link. And there'll also be a link on the podcast description here. So once again, thanks very much for supporting the fanzine as we enter a 20th year of producing it. And I suppose they said print would die, but there's obviously a market out there with the Celtic fans because they still like getting the hard copy and it outsells the digital copy. So that's something. But don't let that put you off. You can still download the digital copy for half the price. As always, I have to thank my producer, Ronan McQuillan, for a quality production. And once again, if you like what we're doing with the fanzine and the podcast and you would like to support us, visit CelticFanzine.com where you can become a member, subscribe, buy or donate for the price of a point. Don't forget to visit the website for our articles and news and also check out a new feature we have, which is the weekend long read. Last week, David Potter put up one on Jimmy Quinn and this week we'll have another one up as well. So well worth reading if you have a bit of time on your hands. Sit down with a cup of coffee when you finish listening to the podcast and read some of David's stuff. He's absolutely excellent. You can also download the app. It's free and you'll have access to the podcast, articles, daily news, video, blah, 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 blah. The fanzine, the online shop, all at the touch of a button on your phone or tablet. All episodes of the podcast are available on all platforms, so hit the subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode. And if you're on our Instagram page, you can go directly into Spotify. As I said earlier, there's no TikTok or Snapchat for us, but you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and we also have a page on LinkedIn. And again, all details are in the podcast description. Thanks again to our episode sponsor, Nave Porrick, Celtic Supporters Club up in Dublin. Thank you so much, boys and girls, for the continued support. And again, see the podcast description for anyone who wants to join Dublin's premier Celtic Supporters Club. And as always, we're looking for businesses who are Celtic-minded and Celtic Supporters Clubs to come on board and sponsor a podcast. Email us at info at com or through the website or on social media. If you enjoyed the conversation of today's guest, Paul McQuaid, and would like to listen to more of the same, his pal Eddie Toner was with us for episode 48. Johnny Doyle's teammate, George McCluskey, spoke to us in episode 42. And our old friend, Average Joe Miller from Not The View, joined us in episode 37. And he was also our first ever guest on episode 1, along with the Hun Scalpel Supreme, Alan Tomo Thompson. So it's Motherwell up next for Celtic at Paradise on Saturday. Enjoy the weekend, get out and about in the fresh air. And if you're feeling down, make sure you talk to someone. Don't bottle it up, there's always someone there to listen. We want to continue our support for musicians and artists who have been hit the hardest by the lockdown restrictions with no gigs and no venues to play in. So send in your material, we'll give you a plug and we'll play out of each show. And this week we play out with the Blarney Pilgrims classic When Saturday Comes Around from the magnificent Grand Was a Celtic Man album which has been reissued and is now available on Spotify. So that's all for this episode folks. Stay tuned, stay safe and as always, keep the faith. This city's not much, Christ, I know that's true 
There's not much to do here between me and you. It's not Paris, it's not Rome, it's not Amsterdam. But we do the best, the best we can. But when Saturday comes around, this town will be our town. When Saturday comes around, we'll paint the place green. I've been here so long now, I call it my home. The good people I've met here, I call my own. I met them one night at Celtic Park With the floodlights shining and the Glasgow dark And when the crowd all sang the old songs I felt at home When I stood up and sang along I didn't feel so alone Hail, hail, we'll have a party tonight Hail, hail, we'll chase away the blues tonight Whenever I go home now, it's always the same Have you got a couple of tickets for the next home game? We'll come over for the weekend And we'll have the crack And maybe like yourself We won't go back Everywhere I go Don't wanna talk about paradise What's the news? What's happening over there?
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.